Dotnet Rocks episode 794 with guest Sahil Malik, recorded live Friday, July 27th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl, it's Richard, it's .NET. Sahil Malik is here in just a minute. Hey, Richard, what is up with you, my friend? Oh, well, things are good. You know, it's summertime, barbecuing, causing trouble. You know, what more do you want? That's what we say every time in the summer. It's summertime. <laughs> life is good. You know, for once, I want you to say, damn, I broke my leg. Well, you know? I do have an injured rib from paintball that has been bothering me for a week. If oh, you know. first world problems, my friend. That first hurt. world problems. I, I, you know, that, that hurts. <laughs> How's your dog doing? My dog's uh, fine. Don't answer that question. So um, uh, let's jump right into Better Know Framework. Hit me. All right, what do you got? On some some Mondays, I want you to tell the story of your dog. But uh, for now, I have something that came out of a real-world necessity. <clears throat> you, you, everybody loves dictionaries. Yes. And everybody loves observable collections. Mm-hmm. Observable collection is one that raises an event whenever the collection is modified. Something is added, removed, replaced, deleted, all that. There's no observable dictionary. Oh. So what if I want to use a dictionary and I want to know when somebody adds something to it? You're out of luck. Well, not necessarily. You can go to observable dick without a K dot codeplex dot com. Sahil, no snickering, please. Observable dick dot codeplex dot com. It's an observable dictionary of T key T value. And it just works. Well, there you go. So it's a Codeplex project. That's awesome. It's a Codeplex project. And they're also voting. They're asking for your vote for the feature to be included in the .NET 4 base class library. Guess when this was created? 2009. Uh, yeah, a little while ago. So, so, so far they haven't won their vote, apparently. Probably not going to get into the .NET 4 base class library. I'm, but I'm guessing. You know, the thing I thought was really cool about this is you add a reference to it, but it connects itself to the same namespace as um, observable list, you know, observable collection. So if you have an observable collection, you have that, you know, the using statement for its namespace, then it's all going to work. Nice. So there's a solution and probably the final solution. Like, well, why would you mess with this? It just seems to work. Yep. It works great. Awesome. So who's talking to us, Richard? Grad to comment off of show 745, which, if you recall, was Jason Kazor talking about HTML5 in SharePoint. SharePoint. Because, hey, it's a SharePoint show. Uh, this comment comes from a fellow who didn't leave an email address, per se, and yeah, not a clickable, trackable name. Uh, looks very Eastern European. Uh, he's got, a, you know, too many consonants in a row. Uh, I'll go for uh, Frogic Mark. Okay. But what he says is extremely useful, and I think uh, Sahil will want to comment on this as well. He says, hi, guys. Uh, nice episode. As usual, it hits the point, and exactly is the reason I'm commenting here for the first time, although I've been a longtime fan of the show. Awesome. 
I'd like to emphasize a few key points mentioned in this episode because they're so important and it need to be said in every kickoff meeting or any time when SharePoint projects are considered, and I've been involved with a couple of those myself, Okay, those little truths of best practice seem simple enough and one should expect that everyone is aware of it, but in reality, not everyone is. Of course, it should be noted that as an all-around developer probably knows, these are not SharePoint-specific facts, but are related to software development in general, but let's just stick to SharePoint for now. SharePoint is not meant to be customized by developers. Right. It is meant to be consumed by IT professionals, business analysts, IT managers, and actual end users. Yes. So this could help a developer when faced with a SharePoint adjustment slash customization demand. Less is more is true here as well, especially with the tools available in SharePoint 2010. Microsoft itself states the order of customization. Number one. Do it in the browser if you can. Number two, if in-browser customization isn't enough, use the SharePoint designer. And number three, if all else fails, use Visual Studio. And four, if all else fails, use something else. <laughs> <laughs> Just say no. Uh, another good thing to emphasize, there is no silver bullet, period. SharePoint is not an exception to this rule, and it will not satisfy all of your collaborative and document management and publishing corporate needs. This should be strongly argued both to clients and project managers within the organization. Yeah. So keep up the good work. And uh, what can I say, Merrick? I, we totally agree. You know, the, this is why developers tend to poo-poo SharePoint, because the answer is not start coding. There are other ways to go about things, but uh, I'd like to send you a .NET Rocks mug for your comment. So uh, hopefully you'll get in touch with us because we can't seem to get in touch with you. But uh, we'll see if we can do something about that. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, send us a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online, over 250 hardcore developer training courses authored by industry experts, 12 to 15 new courses every month, free 10-day trial, 200 minutes, a wide range of developer courses, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything Microsoft. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month, Pluralsight.com. And with that, let's get the uh, reaction to that uh, email uh, from uh, Sahil. Sahil Malik is a .NET author, trainer, and consultant who has worked in Microsoft technologies since the DOS days. Currently, he's heavily involved in SharePoint 2010 and the .NET framework in general. Hey, Sahil, how are you? I am excellent. How are you? Excellent. Thanks for uh, being back on the show. We're here to talk about the new version of SharePoint. Before that, what do you think about uh, Mark's comments? Okay, I, I think he was saying uh, to avoid customizing SharePoint. Is that what you're referring to? Well, he was talking about the order of customization starting sure. in the browser. Yeah, I, I completely, completely agree with that. Uh, you know, I think uh, a typical SharePoint project is extremely different from your regular uh, .NET project. Uh, and, and, you know, what, one of the things I've seen is the developers that come into SharePoint that are pure developers that have been working on .NET only projects. They want to be able to, you know, cut slash it open and, you know, open Visual Studio and that's how they want to solve everything. And, uh, while I will say that sometimes that is absolutely necessary, you know, you cannot avoid Visual Studio if you want to be able to meet customer requirements. The emphasis should be that as much as possible, 
you know, don't don't mess with its innards unless you have to. Yeah, was not yeah, meant to be messed with. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, it's almost that if you look at even SharePoint 2013, the underlying platform is getting more and more complex. And if you know what you're doing, then then yeah, you can mess with it and everything. But the reality is, you know, it's just gotten so complex that most of us don't know how to uh, how to do it properly. Even the experts don't. I mean, you know, it's just the reality of the story. And isn't it sort of the height of arrogance to think you have to roll your own in SharePoint now? Hasn't most everything that most people need been built? Yeah, every now and then, you know, you can't really anticipate customer requirements. So I'll give you a good example. Uh, you know, SharePoint 2010, uh, you know, had workflows. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, and this is this is another one of those things that, you know, because SharePoint is such a leading, bleeding edge and all that, and obviously Microsoft wants to sell it, there is a lot of architecture going around around the product. And this right. is just unfortunate. And this is coming from Microsoft or in the community or, you know, whoever. But, uh, for instance, like workflows uh, in SharePoint 2010, you know, my personal opinion was that they were a piece of crap. Uh, you know, always since the very beginning, I've been saying that. The web content management story uh, since SharePoint 2007, I think, was always bad. Uh, now they've, I think, they've greatly fixed those two issues in SharePoint 2013. Mm-hmm. But in SharePoint 2010, if you needed to do workflows uh, that that say for thousands of users and and they needed to scale and perform, uh, you know, I, I would not use uh, the workflows built into SharePoint. And I'm sure there'll be others that'll disagree with me on this, but. And the SharePoint workflows were based on the Workflow Foundation, right? Workflow Foundation 3 in SharePoint 2010, and that's the kicker. Right. So, you know, they say I'm Indian, but, you know, uh, they say Air India is so bad that even we don't use it. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's literally how workflows are, right? Air India being the, the airline. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, workflows 3.5, uh, versus workflow four, the performance difference between the two is absolutely immense. And they, they could have put it in SharePoint 2010, but they decided not to. Um, or was it a timing issue? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know when .NET 4 exactly was released. Uh, so I'm not shipped to 2010. Yeah. Well, one thing's for sure that uh, SharePoint 2010 was .NET 3.5 based. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think it wasn't just a matter of changing workflows over. You know, they would have had to do a lot of testing. I remember you talking about that in the SharePoint videos that we did. Right. Yeah. So SharePoint 2013 just announced. Yep. Tell us all about this. First of all, did they fix the workflow problem? Uh, they certainly did. They they've. You know, like I say about SharePoint 2010, that uh, they took looked at all the complaints of SharePoint 2007. They fixed about 70% of those complaints. Mm. 30% were left as is. And then they introduced new complaints on top. Mm. Uh, you can pretty much say the same is true for this version as mm. well. Uh, there is a lot of new and exciting things, but I think as they get digested into the market and and marketing separates from the reality. We, people will see what works and what doesn't. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of real enhancements in, under, in, in the platform. And those are the ones that personally I'm most excited about, not the things that they are, you know, heavily pushing in the, the in the marketing sphere, uh, as of right now. Yeah. Uh, so like say, for instance, uh, one of the things that, that's uh, new that they're really heavily advertising and pushing and all of that is a new app model. For, uh, for, for SharePoint that, you know, both for Office and, uh, and SharePoint, you can write apps. 
And, uh, you know, I think, I think they're useful. I think they are another, uh, arrow in your quiver. Uh, mm-hmm. but I, I think they have their issues. Uh, so honestly, apps is something that it's, I think it's one of the things you need to know. You need to learn and you need to use it where it fits. But there are some other underlying things that I'm extremely excited about and workflows is one of them. So what are some of the other ones then? Um, well, uh, I think I'm really excited about the web content management story in SharePoint 2013. Uh, one of the comments I've always made about SharePoint is that the web content management story is, is a train that left in the wrong direction in SharePoint 2007. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they didn't consider things like, say, SEO, search engine optimization and all right. in, in SEO, SharePoint yeah. 2007 or even 2010. The pages are extremely heavy. Uh, the platform is quite complex and all that. So, um, and doing basic things like navigation that goes across site collections was a royal pain in the previous versions of SharePoint. Uh, but in SharePoint, uh, 2013, they've, uh, completely redone, uh, web content management. Rather, they, they built on top a lot. I mean, that's probably right. the more accurate way of saying it. But, but, but the new features that they've introduced are driven off of the managed metadata service and search. And, you know, now you can have like pretty URLs like www.dnr.netrocks.com slash Sahilmalik or point to, you know, page. You don't have to have the slash pages right. uh, directory in every URL. The pages are a lot lighter. And when you say lighter, you mean like less stuff that goes down to the browser? Uh, well, there are, there are two aspects of lighter in SharePoint 2013. One is that you have the ability to create a fairly lightweight page in itself. Yeah. Uh, so that's good. But another thing that I think the all of SharePoint benefits from, not just the WCM story, uh, is is that they've introduced this new property on the SP web object called Enable Minimal Download. And they've yeah. introduced something called as the Download Manager on the page. And what that does is that these newer master pages and these newer controls only download the deltas of the page. So Earlier, when you were downloading like a two megabyte page at every page refresh, now you're downloading a few kilobytes every time you click anywhere. So the whole page renders basically based on deltas. And it is it is actually very, very effective the way it works. Wow, that's great. And, you know, it, it's sort of one of those Boolean black boxes, it sounds like. But have you ever found a, so far, I mean, it's new and nobody has really experience with it yet. But do you anticipate having any gotchas associated with that? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, one of the gotchas will be that when people upgrade their older code and older branding artifacts over to the new version of SharePoint, that's not going to work with the minimal download strategy. Only the newer written master pages and newer written controls work with it. Uh, but luckily what they've done is that they've given us a Boolean property on the SP web object, and you can turn it off if you need to. Wow. Cool. Yeah. So clever. It's well thought out. It's certainly well thought out. Um, let's go back to workflows for a second. What is it about workflows, um, in the .NET 4 in particular that, uh, that make it so much better than three? Oh, I was hoping you'd ask this. Uh, first of all, they're based on .NET 4. And for the skeptics out there, I, I'd say just try a little experiment. Create a simple activity that writes something to console.writeline and run that activity a thousand times in a loop, uh, you know, workflow host that is, let's say, another console app, uh, and, and run that, say, a thousand times in loop and measure the time. And then run the same thing in .NET 4. And, and to be accurate, it's actually .NET 4.5 in SharePoint 2013. Okay. And uh, and you'll see that the performance bump between 
3.5 and 4.0 is like hundreds and thousands of times. I mean, that's how much better workflows are in, in 4.0. I mean, you're exaggerating, but. No, I'm not. Hundreds uh, no, and not. thousands of times faster? At least a hundred times faster, yes. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, and this is not talking about how fast workflow 4.5 is, but rather how slow workflow 3.5 was. Exactly. It was like Air India, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, what they've done is that so one of the reasons, one of the core reasons why workflows were slow, in, especially in SharePoint, uh, was was that the objects that you deal with in SharePoint are pretty big and heavy. So because the workflows need to be reliable, they are back to the persistent service. And between every step, every activity that you go, the workflow gets hydrated and dehydrated out of a persistent store. So the objects that you're hydrating, dehydrating are pretty darn heavy. And the database that you're hydrating and dehydrating to is the SharePoint content database, which is great for all kinds of data, but it's not the best for any particular kind of data. I mean, that's just how databases are. Uh, so what they've done with SharePoint 2013 is that these legacy 3.5 workflows will continue to run as is, but there's no investment on those. However, uh, they've introduced a new workflow server. And with the workflow server, the uh, SharePoint will talk to the workflow server over a REST OAuth-based API and the workflows actually run out of process in SharePoint. So they run inside the workflow server, potentially on a separate server. So right out of the gate, they're going to run a lot faster. And also, uh, they're not bogged down by the entry cases of SharePoint, but, but yet they can be used in SharePoint as if they're SharePoint workflows and work in SharePoint designer. And, you know, they, so the, to the user, they're just SharePoint workflows, but in the back end, uh, you know, you're not bogged down by the entry cases of SharePoint. And you also have the capability of uh, using an Azure workflow server that basically you can float these workflows into the cloud and essentially get infinite scalability on your workflows. Wow, awesome. Infinite scalability always makes me nervous, but let's say lots. Yeah. Lots, exactly, yeah. <laughs> probably more accurate, yeah. I get the sense, uh, Sahil, that you probably use uh, SharePoint as a sort of portal approach, building web-related stuff, rather than the sort of content management or, or document management side of SharePoint? Where, where do you fall? You know, uh, all, all sorts of projects. I mean, there is a, there is a project that I'm, uh, I've been working on for the uh, past uh, few years where we integrate with a back-end ERP system called IFS. Uh, and, and, you know, we offer, a, this is something that is in production at a number of clients and clients absolutely love what we built over there. And early on, this is like three or four years ago when SharePoint 2007 was, uh, in its, uh, sunset phases, let's say, and SharePoint 2010 was in alpha. Uh, back then, uh, so I, I was the architect of that pro uh, project and I decided that, you know, we're going to ditch Silverlight and we're going to go with JavaScript on that. And, and I've been saying this for a, a, a long time, and, you know, now the whole world is doing that as well. Uh, but, you know, it, those are decisions that are very hard to make. And that, that project, for instance, involves both content and documents. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's another project that I've been working on where it is extremely document-centric. Uh, so, so I think typically in a regular SharePoint project, uh, you know, Office and SharePoint and the whole Windows Active Directory and and you know the the management of the data integration of the backend systems it all just it all sort of goes hand in hand I think huh 
Yeah, I, I've always seen SharePoint as a sort of uh, you know bipolar product, where on one side it's the the document collaboration thing, and the other side it's the the uh, content management web tool. Right. Uh, you know, it, it, it's very interesting that you bring that up. Is uh, one of the huge strengths of SharePoint is its integration with Office. Right. And uh, everyone uses Office, uh, you know, or 99% of the people do, or whatever the percentage is, but it's pretty high. Lots of people. Uh, exactly. I wouldn't say infinite, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, because of the tight integration of the Office, it is uh, when people start using it, uh, I mean, they love the tight integration with the Office, and that sort of makes SharePoint an easy sell to enterprises. Right. Yeah. Uh, but when you start talking about a serious document management system and uh, you see how SharePoint stores the data. And in fairness, if you compare it with all other document management products, Documentum, Hummingbird, etc., cetera, uh, our document management system is actually a very complex product. Yeah, no question. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who want me to tell you all about their support for Windows Azure. Telerik was one of the first vendors to provide support for Windows Azure back in early 2009, when the cloud platform was first released as Cloud Trust Protocol. They now offer everything needed to help .NET developers build quality web, desktop, and Windows phone apps for the cloud quickly and easily out of the box. Check out Telerik.com Azure and take the shortcut to Windows Azure development. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. And the proof is sort of when you look at the marketplace, there's so many different relatively successful products out there. It is never consolidated on one right way. Exactly, exactly, because it is a difficult problem to solve. Your documents could be text files, they could be videos, or they could be, you know, four gigabyte DVD ISO images. And it is it is very hard for one product to come with a one-size-fits-all approach. So the product has to be very flexible and give you lots of options in, in setting this up. And most of all, then that basically increases the feature set of the product, which means you're going to need, uh, you know, a, a bunch of good consultants to implement it. So it's never a simple solution. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell me about some of your other favorite features of SharePoint 2013. Okay, kicking off on document management. And I know, uh, Richard, you uh, are deep into performance and databases. So yep. I'll, I'll mention a huge under-the-scenes improvement in SharePoint 2013. Uh, that will, I, I hope that'll get you very excited. So, uh, you know, when, when data goes from SharePoint to SQL, in the previous version of SharePoint, basically the whole document would go into SQL Server. And, right. uh, and, and, you know, databases are, they, they grow. Uh, you know, whenever you create a new version or uh, overwrite anything, it doesn't overwrite it. it. It marks the previous space as not used and it allocates more space. Yes. So typically in a, database or document management oriented SharePoint installation, uh, you, you'll find yourself, uh, you know, creating a bigger and a bigger and a bigger SQL Server database because it's just going to keep growing and you have to have a DBA who has to come in there and compact the database, defragment it and defragment the disk. And it, it's, it's a hassle. It really is. Yep. The reality is, uh, at least on a lot of projects that I've been on, uh, they have never done that. And, and, you know, the performance as a result suffers. And, you know, people say it doesn't perform well or whatever, but really, they're, they really aren't maintaining the database well. But now in SharePoint 2013, uh, 
only the delta is sent all the way to SQL Server. So this is going to have a huge impact on the performance side of things for document-oriented uh, SharePoint installation. So Word sends the delta to SharePoint, SharePoint sends the delta to SQL Server, is that what you're saying? Correct, yeah. Correct. yep, exactly. That's nice. So, so performance is not just in, you know, in number crunching, but it's also in just being smart about what to move across the network. Right. And, and they've also, you know, uh, redone their queries a little bit uh, that they don't do as many full table scans and so on and so forth. So there are, and, and they did a lot of improvements on the database side in SharePoint 2010 as well. So they've continued with that in SharePoint uh, 2013. Now, the consequence of this behavior is going to be that when you want to retrieve a document from SharePoint, it's going to read in the core document and then pick up each of the delta entries and assemble it. Right. I knew you were going to say that. But the thing is, the delta is actually the way it stores inside the database, mm -hmm. that it compacts them. So uh, this, these are one of the things that, you know, you should sort of reverse engineer SharePoint to see it. So uh, in, in the reading doesn't consequently get slowed down. I just, so, uh, yeah, that's my whole thinking is as I have a document with more and more revisions to it, is it going to impact performance uh, for the read? Uh, not as much. I mean, it's a fair trade because the updates are more sensitive. Like this is really, an, and you, it sounds to me like you could have the option to go, uh, all right, just give us a full save this time. So you could sort of roll up all of the changes into a single entry. Right, right, exactly. But at least having that flexibility... You know, you think about most documents, there's a core author who writes the original version, and then people essentially make comments and minor edits to it after that. Rewriting that document every time back to the store sucks. Like, that's right. not a good outcome, where the deltas would be a great outcome for that. Yeah, typically, you know, you can think of it this way, that a user is working with a document, and they're in the habit of hitting Control-S every now and then. Yep. And in the previous version of SharePoint, the whole document was getting dumped onto SQL Server every time the user would hit Control-S. Yeah. And, and you know, as documents get richer with pictures and all that, the, perform the, the performance is, is pretty bad when you're, you know, working with a very big document backed with a SharePoint document library. But no more. It's, it's going to be okay now. I'd also ask the question, are people still doing that? I thought Word did that automatically now. Word sends the changes as, as deltas all the way to SharePoint. But if SharePoint doesn't have the capability of sending the deltas to SQL Server, so SharePoint 2010 would still send the full document onto uh, onto SQL Server. Right. Uh, but SharePoint 2013 takes the deltas all the way back. All to the SQL way back. Server. Right. So right. that's the that's the big change. I mean, I've I've resisted the reflex of Control S for a while because I realized Word does that anyway. It's constantly saving your stuff. It doesn't trust itself. Right. Exactly, exactly. Right. Power goes out and all that. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, I know I, I'm being mean to Word when normally I'm only mean to Outlook. Uh, uh huh. But I haven't had a Word crash in ages. Yeah, no, Word's working really well for me. Yeah, it, it, it used to be worse. And, uh, you know, I guess you can't control things like power outages and all. Yeah. But, you know, many of us work on laptops now. So that's not so much of an issue either. Mm. So. I mean, crashing is a different thing. I don't know. I've, Office hasn't been real unstable in a, in a few versions now. Other, other than Outlook hating me, the rest has been fine. Right. Well, there's been advancement across the board, I think, in Windows applications, not just .NET that has the crash recovery stuff built into it. You know, you get notified when you're about to crash and you can 
save things and bring them back up and rebuild your your documents and all that stuff. But I, I I'm seeing that more and more across the board in many popular Windows applications. Sure. You yeah. Know, just and- recovery. Would you like to open the last thing you were working on? And usually right. it's current. Right, like the, the the Chrome browser, you know, whenever it crashes, it or even IE does that. You know, it recovers all your tabs, which is really really nice. Yeah, yeah, that's the only thing that blows up on me these days is IE. Well, hold that thought for just a minute, because Richard, you know what time it is. Must be that happy time again. It's time to give away some stuff. I and love doing this. What are we giving away today? Well, up to this point in the .NET Rocks fan club, we've been giving away Telerik Ultimate Collections, but that is no longer the case. Now oh. we are giving away the Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. Ooh, what's the difference? So the Telerik DevCraft Complete has uh, ASP.NET, AJAX controls, Silverlight, WPF, WinForms, Windows Phone, Windows 8 controls. Also, the Kendo UI Complete for ASP.NET MVC has reporting, open access ORM, just code, just trace, just decompile, and just mock. Also has one year of free updates and unlimited web portal support. Um, and it's a fourteen ninety nine value. So just a whole bunch of stuff. And it's really all their products. The only thing that you get with the Ultimate Collection, which is one step higher than that, is you know phone assistance, remote web assistance, issue escalation, uh, ticket pre-screening. But those are all support things. Right. Know? But in terms of the product, it's all like, the this is everything a developer wants. Yeah, it's, it's all the stuff. So today's winner is, wait for it, wait for it. Uh, hold on. Abby Levy. Ah, congratulations, Abby. Golf clap for you. Golf clap for you. And uh, if you want to get in on the action of the giveaways, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button in the upper right-hand corner, and you too could win something really delicious. And every year, we're going to give away five grand worth of technology. That's coming up in December. Indeed. So you definitely want to be in on it. All right. So, Sahil, so you mentioned this briefly at the top of the show when we were first talking about the new stuff at SharePoint, because I see on Microsoft's site, the first thing they list is the, quote, cloud app model. And you didn't seem all that keen on that. We've got to talk about this, though. What is the app model and what's it about? Sure. So, uh, you know, in SharePoint 2007, in order to deploy custom code, uh, you, you had to write WSPs. And those WSPs were the equivalent of what today we call as farm solutions. They can write stuff to the disk, and they're very powerful, which also means they're very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, in SharePoint, and, and that was, you know, the number one issue for upgrades or support issues and, and all that. It was a number one cause for it. In SharePoint 2010, uh, they introduced something called a sandbox solutions. And sandbox solutions were uh, much more limited, but that's exactly where uh, the problem lied, that they were inadequate in what you were trying to achieve. So they made it safer, but it couldn't do everything you needed it to do. Exactly. And uh, you know, so the reality was that we still ended up writing farm solutions, but you know, at least for some cases, you could write a sandbox solution and get away with it. So mm-hmm. it got the picture got a little bit better. Uh, but... The, the thing with sandbox solutions was that you could have no server side code, uh, no custom server side code. So, or, or, or the code was very, very limited in what it could do. So, uh, essentially a lot of real world applications you couldn't really use uh, sandbox solutions for. Uh, so you had to use like a pair of a farm solution and a sandbox solution. So to get around that problem, they've introduced this concept of apps in SharePoint 2013 and apps apply to both thick client and thin client. So whether you're working in the browser 
or you're working in say word thick client mm-hmm. or use word or you're working in word office web apps uh, apps apply to all of these scenarios that's nice did anybody besides me get the whole apps thing as being like mobile phones driving sharepoint and how funny that is yeah i guess you know terminology wise i guess yeah they're, they're, i guess uh but, but it's not it's not a bad thing because you know no 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 it's just kind of funny is, so you know they're piggybacking off of that i think that's good users will be able to understand that concept very well well I that's think. it you know and I, I just think it's ironic that's all yeah because you know you think of a, a an app on a phone as being ultra small ultra portable you know right. ultra lightweight and and, an, and a sharepoint app you know as being big of course um the sharepoint 2013 apps as you uh, are talking about them aren't these big behemoth things are they well it, it's as behemoth as you'd as you'd like to make it. So so first of all, there are two kinds of apps, one that run in Office Client and second that run inside of SharePoint. So uh, here we can talk about the Office Client as well, but in this discussion, I'm talking about the SharePoint apps only. And and that's basically, you know, some HTML JavaScript code running inside your browser. But here's the kicker. The backend that it is talking to, the backend is not running on SharePoint server it is running on an alternate server that could be hosted on a separate server or in the cloud. Okay. Right? So the first thing that comes to our mind is cross-domain, right? So what happens here is that the other server is on a different domain. So let's say, Carl, you want to publish a .NET Rocks app on, uh, on onto the SharePoint App Store. Uh, basically, you would be responsible for running and hosting that app and providing the user with a download link or, or something that sort of surfaces it up in an app store. And when it runs inside of SharePoint, uh, it, it will it, it will basically make calls to your server, not to the SharePoint server. Right? Yeah, so okay. the, all the Ajax calls are going to your server. Now, sometimes the app would be such that it will need to interact with SharePoint data or SharePoint functionality. So the question is, how does your server... Uh, which is running on a separate domain or your code that is running on a separate domain interact with the surrounding page or with the server behind the scenes and the answer is with the surrounding page they leverage an html5 mechanism of doing this uh, where a child iframe can talk to a parent frame and for the server side code they use oauth so they use cross-domain calls, JSONP, nice. and they're able to authenticate to SharePoint. So your server-side code can authenticate to SharePoint with OAuth, right? That's great. And and that's that's great. That is an industry standard. Twitter uses it, Facebook uses it, and so on and so forth. But this is what developers need to be careful of. If you look inside of the web.config of, uh, of, of uh, SharePoint, what they've done is that for all of these cross-domain calls, and there are handlers built inside of SharePoint that uh, that accept these calls, they've turned the request validation to off, basically to version to ASP.NET 2.0, which is essentially off. And what that means is that through because you don't control the other side of the equation, which is the app developer server, that app developer now has got a free hand on being able to insert any arbitrary JavaScript or HTML on your client-side page. That's cool, because it means you can pretty much do anything you want. On the client side, you can affect anything you want on the client side. But but see, it grows from there. So that means you can vandalize the page, 
You can steal data from other apps running on the page. You have the ability now to steal the person's cookies. But check this out. Imagine there was another app sitting over there. Like say I have my Bank of America app and the Bank of America app. I have used OAuth with Bank of America to show my balance and do account transfers uh, you know, within SharePoint, within a web part or a, we call a part app inside of SharePoint, right? Mm -hmm. So now let's say there's another app, say funny cat videos from YouTube cap, and, and that app will now have the ability to, uh, you know, maliciously circumvent and talk to the Bank of America app and talk to the Bank of America server under my provided credentials. Nice. Yeah. So, so the thing is, uh, on, on the surface of it, it sounds, you know, hunky-dory and it sounds very nice, but I think you're putting a lot of responsibility in the hands of people that are going to write apps. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't mean to, like, you know, put anybody down, but I think as technology becomes more complicated, it's an unfair burden to put on, uh, you know, an average company that they can find developers who can understand all of this. So typically right. what happens in projects that we work on, it's all about the deadline and it's all about the budget mm. and security issues take a backseat. So what's going to happen? Somebody's going to write such an app. They're going to put it out there and in, in isolation, it'll work fine. But then somebody else will write another app and using this environment that is the browser uh, you know, you're just providing a huge attack surface now. Yeah, yeah. The security just becomes a huge problem. And so what are we going to do about it? Yeah, what's the solution? Well, I mean, uh, there is a way that you can author these apps uh, that uh, uh, th that that they are not uh, hackable by the uh, another app running on the server side. Basically, what you have to do is anytime you're using OAuth and you're sharing the page with possibly other apps, you need to use a shared token with the server that only the app knows. And JavaScript has got data hiding concepts that you can use for this purpose. Uh, the other way out is don't use a part app. You know, use a immersive page app and, and send, mm. ensure that nothing else sits on that page. That's the only way you can get around these. So essentially, you're putting a lot of, uh, let's say, uh, reliance on the person that is writing the app. So anytime you're writing a secure app, you know, be careful. So, Hill, everything you're describing here doesn't necessarily involve the cloud, right? Like, you don't have to use the cloud to use this app model? Uh, you don't have to use the cloud. But the, but the issue that I described applies to cloud or not cloud. Yeah, you're talking about cross-site scripting vulnerability that yeah, exists no matter what you're using. It's just it seems to be that this app model is very much presented as a cloud thing. And I don't know that it, it needs to be like I, there's a whole conversation here to have about SharePoint in the cloud anyway, but I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what what's important, what isn't. Mm. Yeah. So that's my complaint number two about SharePoint 2013, uh, which is uh, uh, that, that they're almost like stuffing the cloud down our throats. Yeah. In SharePoint mm. 2013. Now, apps don't have to have cloud, right? Okay. So you can you can write an app that has got nothing to do with the cloud. But I, there's just, it just looks like everything that they're doing, they're pushing Azure down your throat. And right. I think as a technical guy and as a practical guy, I think there, there's a lot of sense in that. Uh, Azure presents a lot of, uh, uh, it, it presents a lot of value to companies. And I think companies really need to look at it. But you still mm -hmm. want However, options. Yeah, but but I think there are a lot of people stuck in a mentality where uh, it's a, they, they're worried about data security because the data is not within their walls. And, uh, you know, 200 years ago, people used to keep their money in a mattress and that made them more feel more secure. I think when the whole world is connected with, you know, high speed Internet connections, 
uh, it, the data within your walls is is not within your walls, really. Yeah. You know, it, anybody can hack and you can hack through power lines, you know. So right. uh, it, just because it's within your confines doesn't mean it, it's any more secure. It hasn't been so far, you know. So but I think companies will get around to it. It'll take some time for them to do it. But uh, they're just people that are still have that thought process that they don't want cloud for that reason. So, And, and have you looked at the new cloud features? Because the conversations we've had about SharePoint 2010, it really, the cloud version wasn't the same. It was no easy way to migrate an existing 2010 app up to Azure SharePoint because they, they, they're so different. Mm-hmm. That is still the case. You're not going to be able to migrate an on-premises SharePoint app easily to the cloud. That right. is Office 365. But Office 365 is also getting a lot more powerful, mostly thanks to this app model. Mm-hmm. And my feeling is that Office 365 is going to uh, take its sort of its own life. And uh, there, there's going to be a lot of investment and improvements over there. And it's going to become a very compelling product for a lot of companies. So it, it, with, the, with the next gen of Office 365, you know, you, you are going to be able to write uh, really compelling applications uh, that will run inside of Office 365, and they'll be able to integrate with your on-premises uh, uh, environments as well. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's Component1Spread.net. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.NET and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Component1. Smarter components for smarter developers. Sahil, what is new in BCS, Business Connectivity Services? Sure. So so BCS is, uh, you know, Business Connectivity Services allows you to bring external data inside of SharePoint. Uh, there are a couple of new things they've introduced here, like uh, they finally support OData yeah. sources. Love it. Yeah, so that's nice. Uh, a lot of OData sources out there. Uh, they have... Uh, External content types can be scoped to an app and they can be deployed with your app, which is, I think, absolutely essential for the uh, acceptance of this because, uh, you know, you, you don't want to have to go to central administration to make your app work. You know, the whole idea is that it should be easy. What do you mean? Give me an example of an external content type. So, you know, when you want to describe to SharePoint that I wish to integrate a certain piece of external data inside of SharePoint, you would describe that by authoring an external content type. Okay. And the external content type, you would describe things like, what is the backend system you're talking with? What yeah. security mechanism you'll use? What queries? What what is the uh, what are the relationships between these entities you're extracting? What methods? What relation, relationships are like if actions? I, if I wanted the voting record of politicians, let's say, and those are in a certain data format, then mm-hmm. that's external data types that you have to define. Right, that'd be external content type that you would have to define. And in SharePoint 2010, that external content type would go inside of a managed service that you have to have access to central administration to give users permission to use that external content type. 
No more. You have the ability now to create external content types that get deployed and used with your app. Nice. So that's that's a big improvement. They've introduced more things around the client-side object model. But one of the really cool things that they've introduced around external content types is the ability for an external data source to notify SharePoint that something has changed. Wow. An external data source. Right. An external data source can notify. And they have this concept of remote event receivers as well, with, again, you have the ability where you uh, you know edit something and it can fire off a change inside of an external system. And with OAuth, it'll, it can come back into SharePoint and affect another list, for instance. So bringing it all the way down into the browser with Ajax must be, you know, just like having a very dynamic page where the data just sort of updates. You could do that. Yes, you could do that now. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, those those scenarios uh, are, are, are opening up with, with all of this. So, yeah. So, I mean, wow. those are uh, some of the enhancements in, uh, in BCS. I mean, the, the big product that I know of that I guess BCS plugs into would be the the Windows Azure Marketplace, the the data market. Sure, right? Because that's all yeah. of the 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 government census data. There's a whole bunch of data sets you can pay for. Like I I just took a quick peek at the site. There's now a service that'll you give it the UPC code of a food stuff. It'll give you back all the nutritional info. Nice. Yeah. Like that's just a huge amount of information. Yeah, the Azure Marketplace, the Bing Translation Engine, is also available over there. Right. And and actually, the Bing Translation Engine is now integrated inside of SharePoint as well for the WCM story. So wow. uh, you have the, a new managed service called as a translation service, and uh, it can basically create translated pages, versions of your pages, which obviously a person has to edit and review them, but you can create machine translations out of those. Wow, that's great. So. Yeah, there's lots of cool stuff. Search is another thing that I think they have really, really improved on. Okay, how so? You know, they bought this big company called Fast. And in SharePoint 2010, Fast was like sort of its own product. You could use it or buy it, but it it was sort of like when you worked with Fast, it felt like you were running Linux on Windows. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty much what it was, uh, you know. But in SharePoint 2010, there is no more fast search. It is fully integrated with the product. So they don't call it fast search or anything anymore. And the fast query syntax is still supported, but in favor of, uh, you know, they, they have a simpler query syntax called the keyword query syntax. And that is what you should prefer to use over fast. But in some scenarios, you can also use the fast query syntax. But what they've disabled now, is that there is no more that, that SQL query syntax that they had. Uh, you know, it was based on the SQL server full text indexing. That's gone. You don't have the SQL uh, query syntax anymore in SharePoint 2013. Wow. That's great. Yeah. And so the net result is a faster search. Oh, and, and just much more, uh, you know, flexible. And, and they've introduced other improvements inside of search as well. Like they've introduced this concept called parsers, which sit side by side with eye filters, but almost do the same thing. Uh, search has gotten uh, much more intelligent that when it looks at a document that doesn't have the extension, but it's still that document. Like say you're downloading a file that is a download.aspx question mark ID but it's downloading a Word document. Now, Fast can the search can actually detect that that's a Word document, and not only detect it, it can find the document and it, it can extract metadata out of that as well. So we no longer rely on users to provide good metadata, 
and and when things get indexed, they uh, they they what they call as an entity extraction that they're able to extract entities, and they can create refiners based on that. So imagine. So one of my favorite sites that I shop on personally on the internet is Newegg. Love Newegg. Oh, Newegg is awesome. There's just no other site like it. The filters are great. Filters, exactly. That's exactly what I was going. At. And, you know, like you go to Amazon.com and you search for something versus Newegg. You know, Newegg, you can say I'm searching for laptop SSDs. And then on the left, it tells you, you know, filter by the SSD size or or form factor and, you know, et cetera. And, and, and that is just so incredibly valuable when you're trying to filter into exactly what you're looking at. And that is called as refiners. And that they've been trying to do that in SharePoint 2007 and 2010, but for performance reasons that you can't really do that very well. Wow. But in SharePoint 2013, you will be able to. That is a huge feature. Oh, that is insane. And, and also they have another, th- now this is only available in SharePoint server. So SharePoint foundation is not going to have ex- entity extraction. Uh, and, and also, uh, they, by the way, they just call it SharePoint search now. So there is no SharePoint for enterprise search or fast search and all of that. So it's just SharePoint search. Okay. Um, but obviously, you know, the more you pay, the better features are. So, uh, and, and they have another thing called as web service callout in which between the crawl and the formation of the index, you have the opportunity of calling a web service and adding on to the entities that have been extracted. So your refiners will become more useful. Okay. So through cool. a web service, they have introduced an extensibility point there as well. And and earlier you had to do this using the fast pipeline, which wasn't easy. Uh, and I don't know how many people actually did that, but but now they've made it a lot easier for us to do. So there are some you know nice improvements. And because they've improved search a lot, their reliance on search for a lot of features has also increased. So like the web content management system relies heavily on search now. They have a content by search web part, which can aggregate changes across, you know, possibly the whole farm and show you the data in one area. And the web analytics service has been deprecated because it's been replaced with a service that is based on search. So what's good for the mobile phone or tablet user in SharePoint? Right. right. This is one of those things that I would call it as a V1 release. And this is just mm-hmm. my personal opinion. Okay. Uh, but they've introduced this concept of channels in which uh, the web site can detect uh, the, 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 the mobile platform you're, you're coming from, and it can render the appropriate HTML5 page for you. Nice. Right? Which is great. They say that, you know, you can use performance point on an iPad now, but it's basically you're rendering the page as HTML on an iPad. I, I mean, I don't think that's that big of a deal because yeah. it's really, you know, that's that's the beauty of the iPad, not of SharePoint, I think. Yeah. Uh, and and then uh, also the the UI has, has been improved so you can you start to full screen, space out the elements and make it more suitable for, for, for touch UI. So, so there's some improvements there. Uh, but, but you know, I think mobile applications in general require a lot of thought and attention. It is not as simple as just render an HTML5 page suited for an iPad. Right. Uh, there are a lot of other, a lot of people just get hung up on the UI of mobile, but I think that is probably 10% of the issues you need to solve. Mm. The other issues you need to solve, number one, are security. Definitely. Right, because 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 your mobile applications, by definition, are not working within within your company's premises. They're working out on the world somewhere. Right. 
And, and you don't want to have the user to VPN in every time they want to hit your SharePoint site from their iPhones because, you know, VPNs, I mean, most of the VPNs I use are like drunk test, you know, that you can't enter <laughs> the system unless you're, if you're drunk, you know, they're so complicated. <laughs> right. And you know, try doing that on a mobile device. And, you know, when the thing powers down, the VPN breaks. Or if you go, if your IP address changes, which could, which could happen on a yeah. mobile device, or when you go in and out of coverage, your VPN breaks. So VPN is not the answer there. And 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 the, the current version of SharePoint doesn't really answer that. So they answer that with the Universal Access Gateway, UAG. But again, that has a lot of issues on, on uh, supporting all sorts of mobile devices. It's not a simple fix. So that security is one of the things, and connectivity is the other thing. And, and, and another thing with this that, you know, these uh, WebKit-based browsers, and they say just use Azure ACS for, uh, you know, bridging the security gap. But the thing is, the 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 the, the token, the bootstrap tokens that claims-based identities generates with Azure ACS are huge, and they just get trimmed on WebKit-based browsers. And SharePoint 2013 used uses bootstrap tokens for everything. Not just, even if you're not using Azure ACS, you're still using a bootstrap token. So I think practically speaking, for authenticated applications, an iPad or an iPhone or a mobile application hitting your SharePoint site, uh, the out-of-the-box is not going to get you very far. I think you need uh, special attention and special consideration when you're writing mobile applications. Do we have um, push notifications now on phones and devices? Uh, you do. There is support for push notification inside of SharePoint, absolutely. And uh, you can also leverage other, you know, uh, kinds of push notifications. So, for instance, with Apple, you can tap into the notification notification oh, that nice. Apple sent. But that's more of an Xcode thing. But, yeah, you can certainly do that. That's so nice. You do have notification, yeah. Yeah, that was definitely a missing feature. Yeah. Well, what, can I ask you guys a question? Because you guys talked to a lot of, you know, smart people. Uh, there is a there's a trend or a thought going on about you know writing mobile applications in HTML5 versus on native uh, you know like Xcode or Java or or right. you know C sharp and, and I'm gonna I have my opinions on this but I'm gonna hold back on them. What are your thoughts on you know on that? Um, well, my thoughts are that a, a web developer of which there are more than developers on specific platforms like mm -hmm. to have one language, one set of tools that they can use and then only have to worry about the UI changing or the design of the, the UI changing. So there, therein lies, it's not the right once run anywhere, but it's closer. It's, it's, I can still, I only write, ha have to write my, my client side logic or my server side logic once. And there, there's, I think, so therefore it's desirable, but I, I think that the tools aren't, there yet you know, the the html5 apps that i've used on the iphone for example just aren't as responsive you know and maybe that's just data design and maybe you know maybe maybe that's what all it is it could be done better with better architecture but i just mm -hmm. you know when when i tap a button to fill a list and it just sits there i don't think oh it's downloading data i think it's broken i'm gonna or i didn't tap the button right or i didn't tap the button i gotta tap it harder Right. You know what I mean? But, so there are subtle cues that, that said, I think those things can be overcome. And when they are, uh, I think it'll be more desirable for web developers to do more mobile apps. Right now, uh, it's the client developers that have cornered that market. 
All right, history has shown us that cross-development techniques benefit the developer, don't necessarily benefit the user, and that the user will choose the best experience for themselves. Right. Uh, so in a competitive space, in a place where there's a possibility of multiple products competing against each other, the app's going to win every time. Right. In a non-competitive space, like say you're dealing with an enterprise internal application where there is only going to be one, you know, use the tool you're best at. And, and the HTML5 approach has a big strength because it's a common set of skills. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think our opinions on this topic are exactly the same. I mean, I think writing a mobile app in HTML5 is a, is a huge uh, uh, advantage if you can do it. But uh, it takes a lot of experience to do it right. And I think you can pretty much guarantee that the first time you'll write one, you're going to do it wrong. Well, yeah, the bigger probably. thing here is the tools don't save you. You can mm-hmm. make a great app in any tool, and you can make a crappy app in any tool. Mm. Yeah. And I've seen some amazing HTML5 apps that I was just staggered by that it didn't matter that they were in HTML5. If they'd been written in anything, they would have been great. But, yeah. you know, the, the, the reason we have a diversity of tools and a diversity of techniques is because there is no one right way. Right. But, uh, yeah. But also, you know, when I work with HTML5, I think it's, it's just not a lot of things in it that are just not ready yet. And yeah. uh, it's, I find it very limiting sometimes. So I think you have to have had experience in writing HTML5 to be on an HTML5 project, which is a cache 22. Yeah. But, uh, no, if, if, as long as you can find someone with 20 years of experience with HTML5, that guy will <laughs> rock it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's a hard sell right now, but there's definitely value there, but, uh, but you really need to, you know, have at least gone through one or two HTML5 projects to really know what, what the limitations are. Couple of years from now, when the the toolkits have expanded, the patterns have been matured. I think this will be an easier discussion. HTML5 will be delivering more, but don't think the app marketplace isn't going to move forward too. That that tooling is not going to get better. I'm fascinated to see what the Win Phone 8 SDK and development experience is going to be like because that may blow everybody out of the water. Possible, yeah. You know what? What I say is, uh, I, I bought a line from Mark Miller. Like right, sometimes writing an HTML5 app feels like you're stuck with the dominatrix and you've forgotten the cheat word. Or the, <laughs> the safe word, yeah. <laughs> An absent-minded doc dominatrix who's forgotten your safe word. Banana! <laughs> right. And that's what it feels like. Or it feels like Lady Gaga going through airport security. Sahil, we've we've spent an hour here and uh, there's still so many more features to cover. Um we can just ask people to go to Bing or Google and and search for uh, SharePoint 2013 and and look at the list of new features. I've included the link to the preview so you can download it, take it out for a spin. Needless to say, once it ships, however many months from now, that link will probably die. But for now, there it is. I mean, just you know, to to laundry list them here in application services, we have translation services, machine translation which is right. interesting, um, PowerPoint automation, enhanced access services, enhanced Excel services. Um, in enterprise content management, there's a new design manager, uh, managed navigation, cross-site publishing we talked about, e-discovery yeah. we talked about a little bit, social and collaboration, social media we didn't really touch on, but there's new f- uh, features there. Yeah. There's new core platform enhancements like REST endpoints and new client and server APIs, client-side rendering, remote event receivers, uh, and not to mention the uh, Visual Studio 
uh, templates and, uh, man, just all sorts of new stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, just too, anything too. that you want to say about the SharePoint, the new SharePoint designer real quick before we jump off? Well, or rather around to the whole design story, uh, the, I, I think it's, it's, it's got, it's gotten more complex in some ways. Uh, they've taken out the design view in SharePoint designer and they're really encouraging you not to mess with the master page and all that, which I think is impractical. So that part is going to get a little interesting. And the design manager that you mentioned, uh, I think is, first of all, it applies only to web content management sites for now, at least, unless they change it by RTM. And, and secondly, it doesn't work with all sorts of templates. So it's not like the designer's role is dead. Uh, so designer is, is, is I think, uh, that's that's going to be an interesting one to see how that shapes up, but I think yeah. it's going to get more complex, not less. It's using Visio 2013 Visio. Remember that product? There's a Visio 2013 now. Yeah, Visio is far from dead, and Access yeah. is another thing that they've introduced huge improvements in Access services. Yeah, we can talk about this for for ages, you know. So, so I, I, again, I encourage people to go get the the bigger story. Well, thank you, Sahil. This is great. Thanks. Can I do a shameless plug before we? Sure. Sure. So I'll be launching my SharePoint trainings. Uh, the first one is going to be in Oslo in end of September. And the second one is going to be in London in October. So if you're interested in SharePoint 2013, I'd love to say hi. That's great. It's always great to get your opinions. We know that they uh, come straight from your heart and not from uh, any any other place. So thank you. That didn't sound right, but okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time on Dynamite Rocks. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. <laughs>